0: Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a message from our sermon series in Isaiah. As we prepare to open God's Word, we'll begin uh, just with a brief prayer for the preaching of the Word. This is uh, a really old prayer out of the Church of England, but bow with me and we'll pray it together. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom No secret is ever hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit that we may more perfectly love thee and more worthily magnify thy holy name through Jesus Christ, our only Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Let us begin the sermon today with the words of an atheist. We just spent the last 40 minutes together praising God and praying to God. And let us begin the sermon this morning with a question from an atheist who is utterly and completely befuddled that we would do such a thing. This was written in the Sunday Times of London several years ago, an open letter about uh, why worship doesn't make any sense. And this is what our atheist friend says. Worship is an aspect of religion that I always find difficult to understand. Suppose we postulate some omnipotent being who, for reasons inscrutable to us, decided to create something other than himself. Well then, why should he expect us to worship him? We didn't ask him to create us. Our lives are often miserable. We know that human tyrants, when they're puffed up with pride, crave adulation, but a morally perfect God would surely have no such character defect as this. So why are all those people on their knees worshiping him every Sunday? You get what our atheist friend is asking. He's saying, isn't God's demand that we worship him uh, kind of vain or senseless? It's kind of like, to this point of view, God comes off bad in an either-or way. Either God's like some sort of needy, insecure being craving our attention, or God is some conceited, absolutely arrogant bully just forcing us to cower down before him. The theme of the book of Isaiah is that God is so God that everyone everywhere should worship him all the time. In fact, everyone everywhere must worship him all the time. That's the central theme of the book of Isaiah. Look at Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11. Look at Isaiah 48, verses 9 through 11. This is, to me, one of the central verses in the Hebrew canon of Scripture because it talks about why God does what he does for his own glory and for his own name's sake. For his own glory and for his own name's sake. Isaiah 48, beginning in verse 9. God says, For my name's sake I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise I restrain it from you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I've refined you, but not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. Verse 11, for my own sake. For my own sake I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. Why should we worship God? For his name's sake. Why does God save sinners? For his name's sake. Why does God condemn unrepentant sinners to hell? For his name's sake. This is so central in the Hebrew scripture, I just want to show you one more place. It's another prophet that you don't go to a whole lot. It's Ezekiel. If you don't know where Ezekiel is, that's okay. It's just two books over from Isaiah to the right. And I want you to look at Isaiah, uh, at Ezekiel 36 briefly with me. Ezekiel 36 and verse 22. That God deserves and even demands worship is not some quirk of Isaiah. It's central to the Hebrew canon, and we see it here in Ezekiel in another absolutely central passage. Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Ezekiel 36, 22, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I shall be your God. He does this for his own name's sake. Why does God do what he does? God does what he does for the glory of his name, for the fulfillment of his word that truth spoken to the atheist who opened up our sermon, I suppose if we spoke that truth to him, it would uh, give him heartburn and make him upset because it just doesn't make any sense. My contention is that that truth spoken to folks like you who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, that truth makes your heart fill up with so much joy and so much gratitude and so much worship because this is our God. The fact that God does what he does for the glory of God is not a bug, it's a feature. The fact that God does what he does for his own glory is not a problem to which we should object and sweep under the rug. It is actually great, great news. Perhaps the simplest way to say it is that when God demands that we worship him, and he does, when God demands that we worship him, God makes this demand not because he needs our worship. God makes this demand because he knows in his love for us we need to worship him. When God demands that we worship him he's not trying to suck in our worship to complete his joy he's God he's forever joyful he does not need our worship to complete his joy but he knows that only when we worship him will we find the fullness of joy that nothing else in the world can offer us he's not seeking our praise because he's incomplete without it He's God. He's good. He's seeking our praise because he knows that we are incomplete without praising him. And I want you to see how this influences your life, your wants, your needs, your prayers, what to do when everything falls apart. And I want to show you this in the greatest way to pray. And that's where we are in Isaiah chapter 37 in the prayer of Hezekiah verses 14 through 20. Last week, we covered chapter 37. The week before that, we covered chapter 36. So I'm not going to go back and, and retell the story like last week on Better Call Saul, this and this and this happened. It's not going to be like that. Uh, I trust you know the story. Hezekiah is just jammed up by Sennacherib, and he doesn't, there's no way that he can deliver himself. And so this is what he does, verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God. You alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands, and they have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand, in order that, verse 20, all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. What a prayer. It starts with God. And then it ends with saying, in order that everyone may know that you are God. And the concern interwoven throughout every verse of the prayer is that God would be glorified, God's name would be magnified, God would not be mocked, but rather God would be praised. This thing is so God-saturated. In verse 14, he enters the house of God. In verse 15, God is the great God that he prays and brings his request before God. In verse 16, he says, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, you're enthroned above the cherubim, and you are the only God. He praises and worships God for creation and absolute sovereignty, that he's the only sovereign one. Then did you catch that in verse 17, uh, Hezekiah says in verse 17, Incline your ear and listen, O God. And he doesn't even say, Incline your ear and listen, because the things that are going to happen to me, Hezekiah, are really bad. You see what he says? Incline your ear and listen and see. Because Sennacherib has mocked you. This is about you and your name. Then in verses 18 and 19, he says, Lord God, every false idol does get burned up because they're not God. You are the only God. And verse 20 is maybe the best how he ends. So now, O Lord, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. This praise is most certainly, this prayer is most certainly filled with the glory of God. It begins with that and it ends with that and the specific supplications are all wrapped up in the glory of God. This is the greatest way to pray. When our needs and desires, when our needs and desires are wrapped up with God's name and God's glory, this is the greatest way to pray. Because what we pray is that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. To become a Christian, every, every covenant member of this church gives a credible testimony that he or she is truly a Christian. To become a Christian is to be delivered from the kingdom of self and Satan. And to be a Christian is to submit oneself wholeheartedly to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, to receive his forgiveness for all your sins by what he did on the cross, to trust in his resurrection, and so now to be a follower of Jesus that the only kingdom that matters is the kingdom of Jesus, not me, myself, and I. We see this in Hezekiah's prayer I want to show you this and, and, and how to, what I just want to do this morning in the moments that we have together is show you how to make this your own daily habit of prayer. And the best place to show you this, perhaps your mind has already gone there, is in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6. So I'd ask you to turn with me to Matthew 6, verses 9 through 11. This is a, a, a much like Isaiah 37. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 5, don't be a hypocrite when you pray. He even says in verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they're going to be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him for it. Verse 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Jesus' prayer here, the pattern for our prayer, begins with a statement of relationship and recognition. Our Father in heaven. The relationship is that He's our Father. And the reverence is that He's in heaven. Our Father in heaven. And after that opening statement of relationship and reverence, we have, you can count them up, seven prayer requests. Seven of them. Hallowed be your name. One, your kingdom come. Two, your will be done. Three, on earth as it is in heaven. Four, give us this day our daily bread. Five, forgive us. Six, uh, lead us not into temptation. And seven, deliver us from evil. And we could separate those seven requests like with three and then with four. Because the first three, they, they clearly go together. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Those are all concerned directly with God's affairs. They're followed by four requests with our needs and the little affairs of our lives. When we say, give us the food that we need, give us the forgiveness that we need, help us when Satan comes up against us, and deliver us from evil. And you can see the difference between the first three and the second four. The first three, are, the arrows are very much going upward. The second four, well, there's still an arrow going upward because you're asking God, but what you're asking God is to bend down his power to do something for you here and now. The first three are up to God's greatness. The last three are down to our neediness. And of the seven, the first one is first for a reason. Hallowed be your name. In fact, we should say that of the seven requests, the first one is, uh, is not just one equal of the seven. It's the, it's the covering, isn't it? It's the page on which all the prayers are written. It's the ink in which they are written to say, God, you're good. God, you're great. God, you're worthy. God, let your name be reverenced. Let your name be honored. Let your name be admired. Let your name be praised. Let your name be valued. We have our needs and our wants, but what we want and what we need all comes out of God being God. So what I want and what I need, it has to flow out of God being God. That's why we say, God, hallowed be your name. The fact that God is and that God is God leads everything. So, <clears throat> now run hallowed be your name through the other six requests. If we privilege that one, then run it through the other six requests. You see? Uh, verse 10, God, if your name is hallowed, then your kingdom will be the most important kingdom to me. Your will be done. God, if your name is honored, then your will, way more important than my will. And I would never want my will to cross your will because your name's more important than my name. So of course your will is more important than my will. And then give us this day our daily bread. Simply to say, God, when I have needs of money or food, I look to you to provide them. I look to you to provide them because I'm not trusting in my name, my bank account, my strong arm. It's your name that's going to provide for me. And then forgiveness, that one's easy to connect to God's name because when I've sinned, even if I sinned against you, I really sinned against God. And the reason a sin against you is morally repugnant is because you are are made in the image of God. It's about God's name. That's why I need forgiveness. And then when I'm tempted to sin, if I sin, I'll dishonor God's name. Well, I might embarrass myself if I sin. I might get arrested if I sin. I might face earthly consequences if I sin. But the most important thing is that I, I would dishonor God's name. And then the last request, deliver us from evil... Well, there's no way I'm going to be delivered from evil unless the mighty name of God is my buckler and my shield and my helmet and my stronghold. So hallowed be your name is, is up and above all of the rest of the requests. So, back to prayer. We pray when we have needs. Uh, yeah, uh, yesterday, yeah, I was in between doing things and I just, as you do sometimes, I just... I just started clicking through needs in my mind. Uh, Some needs in the ministry right here. Other needs for friends that I have that you don't know that are out there. And we all have these needs. And those needs should prompt us to pray. Pray. We started in Ezekiel 37. Hezekiah had a great need. Sennacherib's army was mighty. Hezekiah's was not. And he he was up against it, and he was terribly needy. And so he laid the, the threatening letter out before the Lord, and he said, Lord, you see this. Would you please help me? We have needs, and so we lift up those needs to the Lord. We've already done that in this service. We take our needs to our heavenly Father. When Jesus says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, help us, He's reminding you, oh, I, I hope you can, I hope you can not only hear this, but feel it and believe it. If you are in Jesus Christ, you have a heavenly father who loves you and who will use his omnipotent might to take care of you. You have a father a million, a billion, a trillion times better than any other father, not even worthy to compare with anyone. This is your father, and he's going to care for you. He actually says, pray to me and let me know your needs so that I can meet them in Jesus Christ. He loves you, and he welcomes you to bring your needs to him. So go to God in prayer with your needs all the time. The, the greatest way to pray is not less than that but it is more than that so i'm not at all saying don't take your needs to god it's not less than that take all your needs to god all the time the greatest way to pray is not less than that but but it is more than that it's beginning and ending like hezekiah did it's beginning by saying god you are so good and you are so great here are my needs God, whatever happens with my needs and however you meet them, God, would you do it in a way that makes people see that you're good and that you're great and that your kingdom is worth sacrificing everything for? Go to him with your needs. We do that, every, we do that all the time. You're going to do that in ABF today, I imagine. little inside baseball secret. Sometimes on a Monday... I'll walk out of my office and I'll just kind of prayer walk through the building and walk through all the ABF rooms and so either on the whiteboard I'll see where they wrote out the prayer request this person and this person or the, or someone will have left the printed prayer request thing on the table and and I I snoop on those <laughs> and I pray for them this is good that your brothers and sisters here who belong to the same Heavenly Father, that you tell them the burdens of your heart and they pray for you. The greatest way to pray is not less than that. It's a little bit more than that, but it's not less than that. It is wonderful to lay out your needs before the Lord. Do that. Do that in ABF, second hour. But as you lay out your needs before the Lord, you're you're laying them before the Lord for the sake of, for the sake of, Not just buttoning everything up the way you would write the story. You are laying your needs before the Lord and saying, Lord, you are God. Your name should be hallowed. Your name should be praised. Your name should be honored. The one request that's multiplied above and in every other request is, Lord, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. That's the foundation of prayer. That's the focused goal of prayer, is hallowed be your name. Just like Hezekiah said, deliver us so that all the kingdoms of the earth will know that your kingdom reigns forever and overall. What does that sound like? And what does that look like? Well, let's talk it through. Here's maybe how you would do it. Let's say, let's say your friend Mark is in the hospital. God, uh, I pray for my friend Mark in the hospital. And God, Jesus taught me to pray, hallowed be your name. And I pray for my friend Mark in the hospital. God, you are the creator. God, you're the sustainer. God, you are the healer. You give health and strength. And when health fails and a friend dies in Jesus Christ, you give another life beyond the grave. Lord, this is all true because you are God and you are powerful. And so I pray for my friend Mark who's in the hospital. I pray that you would place your name upon him in such a way that he has hope in you, that he has strength in you, that if you heal him, he would use the strength you give him to make much of you, and that if this leads to his death rather than to his healing, that you would be magnified in his life or in his death by his trust in you. How does it look like when we, uh, my, um, my, my uh, son-in-law is a youth pastor in Oklahoma and I just went out there and spoke for his middle school ministry and so I, it has been on my heart lately to pray for middle schoolers. I pray for the middle schoolers I spoke to out there and I prayed for our middle schoolers here at RBC last week. What does it look like to say, hallowed be your name, I pray for our middle schoolers. Middle schoolers are the best. I, I mostly feel like I still am one. Uh, middle schoolers are just the best Uh, but I just pray Lord I pray for our middle schoolers hallowed be your name in the lives of our middle schoolers oh God oh God these 12 year olds they are walking through a world that is nothing but sewage all the time moral filth but your name is clean and holy God, place your name upon them. Protect them in your holiness. Give them, just give them, just give them eyes that would see the beauty of holiness and the ugliness of sinfulness. Enable them to deny ungodliness in this wicked generation and show themselves to be holy and pure as those who belong to you. Hallowed be your name in the lives of our middle schoolers. What does it look like What does it sound like? Friend opens up, a Christian friend opens up and says, I am facing real struggles in my marriage. Lord, I pray for my Christian friends. They are facing real struggles in their marriage. Lord, hallowed be your name, and these are my Christian friends, which means that that husband's sacrificial love for his wife demonstrates or blasphemes the name of Jesus. And that means that my Christian friend who's the wife, that her love and submissive honor toward her Christian husband shows the reality of how the church relates to Christ. You've placed your name upon her. You've placed your name upon him. So Lord, just deliver them in repentance and help them for your name's sake. Oh, I want him to stay married and I want him to be happy and I want him to take an Alaska cruise and have pictures and grandkids. The whole I do want all that. So I'm asking for all that, but the main thing is that your name would be upon them. Got a friend who's a single mom and she's out of money. How do I pray for her? Lord, I pray for my friend who is working hard and it's, it just seems unfair because she, she's at it all alone. Lord, you, you've brought her into our church and so you've placed your name upon her. Lord, give the brothers and sisters in the family of God who share this name, give us generosity to help care for her. And Lord, as you provide for her, I even pray that her stewardship of money, that, that, that her stewardship of money would show what kind of God you are, that your name would be magnified in her life, that other single moms who don't know Jesus would watch her and see. She's different. She's different because your name is on her. Hallow your name and how you answer this request. Lifting up your needs to God is a huge part of prayer. And the greatest way to pray is not less than that, but it is more than that. And if that's how to pray for your friends, maybe something I need to spend a couple minutes talking about is how to pray this for yourself. How to pray this way for yourself. And uh, if I could ask you a question, have you ever stopped and actually listened to yourself, not a happy experience. If I maybe I don't know you, so I'm guessing, but I ain't wrong. <laughs> if if you if you listened to the the recording of your life, I think maybe the drumbeat would be, I want, I want, I want, I want. I want, I want, I want. It's embarrassing to admit. But uh, we say I want so frequently that what we really mean is my kingdom come, my will be done. It's embarrassing, but it's true. My kingdom come, my will be done. When there's no... This is, when there's no larger kingdom, I think it was G.K. Chesterton who said, how much grander your life would be if you yourself were smaller in it. When there's there's no grander kingdom, to capture your allegiance, your loyalty, your dreams, your aspirations, everything, when there's nothing bigger than you to capture all of that, you just circle into you just spiral down into into self. And then you actually end up using other people to get what you want. I want, I want, I want, and every other person is just a tool or a vehicle that I can use to get what I want. That's a terrible way to live. You know, we sin against other people when we make them a means to get what we want. That's the wrong way to treat an image bearer of God. But we all do it all the time. But if we could say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, everything else would begin to turn around. There's a... You ever have a Christian author that you love, but you also hate? I love it because it's so convicting, but I hate it because when I read this guy, I'm like... You have been following me around, and now you're like really dealing with what's going on in my kitchen. You know, that's the way Paul Tripp's books are for me. That's the way they are for a lot of us. I it's uh, I just I forgot what book this is from. I think it's from his book about the tongue or speaking, but he's talking about living for your kingdom of me. This, <laughs> just listen to Paul Tripp and tell me you don't love hate this. <laughs> he says, uh, "If I listen to the recording of the last month of all of your words, whose kingdom?" would I hear about? Would it be the kingdom of self with its self-focused demandingness, its expectancy and entitlement? Would I hear a person who is quick to criticize, quick to judge, quick to slam because people are always violating the laws of your kingdom? Would I see that the greatest moral offense in life is when someone violates the laws of your kingdom. When this happens, do you use your words as a weapon? Do you use your words to rein this person back into the loyal service of the purpose of your kingdom of me? I hate that. And I need it. We all do. We all do. The hallowing of God's name can deliver you from the slavery of the kingdom of me. It can fix that. If you can pray in this way, it, that it, that it can actually redraw the mental map of how you think about yourself and other people and your unfulfilled desires. I, I, I'm never going to be able to preach to you a message that will, make, what, that will lay the dominoes of your life exactly out like you want them to be. you got to go to another church for that. You will always live with unmet desires, unfulfilled needs, and difficult relationships. Until heaven. I ain't going to fix all of those. But the one thing that we can do if we, say, if we say, hallowed be your name, let your kingdom come, let whatever happens in the mess of this life, let it show people that you are God and that you are good, it can redraw everything. Don't you see that the greatest way to pray is, how do you get there? Hezekiah prayed that way. He was facing a personal crisis and what he said was, God, deal with this crisis so that other nations, so that Assyria, Egypt will see you. He was so outward focused, so Godward focused, so evangelism focused, he was delivered from the kingdom of me. Don't you see that this opens up a whole new definition of happiness? Happiness. Nobody needs me to teach them that the definition of happiness is everything goes the way you want it to go. That's 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 our default. It's It's why we're so unpleasant to be around most of the time. But that's not happiness. Beloved church, can I tell you a new definition of happiness? Happiness is God being God to you. He said in Ezekiel 36, 37, we read it. He said, I will be God to you, and you will be my people. I do this for the sake of my name. Happiness is God being God to you. Happiness happiness is you encountering the Godness of God and resting in it. Happiness is also you encountering the goodness of God. And resting in it and those are the same thing how do I become a person who can pray like this it's not complicated believe God is and believe God is good it's not more complicated than that believe that God is he is worthy to be worshiped and believe that God is good The goodness of God is manifest to us in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If he has not withheld his son, his only son from us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? God is, and God is good. My happiness, your happiness is bound up in encountering the godness of God and the goodness of God. And you can, it's not less, it's not less than praying, Lord, fix my marriage. It's not less than praying, Lord, heal my friend Mark. It's not less than that. But it is more than that. So you can be delivered from just praying, God, make my life better. God, make my life better. And you can start praying, Lord, I want my life to reflect you and your goodness. You can and you should bring your needs to him. But as you do, you're saying, God, be God in my life. God, I want to see you. I want to know you. I want my affections, my aspirations, my motivations to be wrapped up in who you are. Start praying, Lord, I want you to be God to me. I want my life with its problems to show the world the kind of God you are. And I would love for you to deliver me from my problems and so show your godness. But even if you do not, I want how you're a refuge to me in the midst of my problems to show the world that you are God. But the one thing I want is for you to be God to me. This is such a different way of praying. What inspires it is knowing that God is God and that God is good. Sooner or later, we all end up stuck praying, Lord, why are you doing this? And maybe even a little worse, Lord, why are you doing this to me? We all end up there sooner or later. But this delivers us even from that. Even from that, this delivers us. Because we start to pray, Lord, glorify yourself. Glorify yourself in my life. Hezekiah's personal Fate wasn't his ultimate concern. What a wonderful deliverance from the kingdom of self. The way to be released from the prison of self-centeredness, the way to be released from the prison of self-centeredness is to become a God-centered woman or a God-centered man. That is the most joyous liberty that the sons and daughters of God walk in to become a God-centered woman, to become a God-centered man. That is the joyful liberation from the tyranny of self. That is to be released into the glorious liberty that is the birthright of those who no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Let's pray. As we bow together for prayer, if you'd give your heart to the Lord or give your attention to me just for a moment as we bow in prayer, instead of a closing song, uh, I ask to just uh, have the last two minutes of our service be a, a time of prayer. And so I invite you to pray right there where you are, a prayer of response to the living God for how he has spoken to you. something in the sermon made you say ouch confess it to God he is rich in mercy and he's on his tiptoes ready to forgive confess your sins Join me in asking God to be God to you. To place the beauty of His name upon you. To give you the almost unbelievable privilege of seeing His will done in your life. To deliver you from all evil. And the things that seem unfixable, the hurts that feel inconsolable, give them to God. He knows. has fatherly compassion. He wants to wipe the tears from your eyes. Lord God, let your name be hallowed in the lives of these precious women and men. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done in the lives of these precious church members. Give each one the money, the material resources that they need. Lord, forgive us our trespasses. Oh, and fill us with a quick and a ready and an eager ability to forgive one another and so preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And Lord, when we face temptation, be our shield, our buckler for the fight. And Lord, deliver us from evil. For yours is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.